0: Hi, this is Malia Cromer, director of the Goucher College Poll, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, a source of news and notes on Maryland politics and policy viewed favorably by an overwhelming majority of Marylanders. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canali here with Sarah Sample. Sarah, how's it going?
1: It's going great. We are experiencing a very busy interim and, and that's kind of how I like it. So yeah,
0: all's well. Good. And we have you on this week because this weekend, the magic date, that is when people are going to be able to buy and legally possess adult use cannabis. July 1st. So we're coming up on that rapidly, Sarah. It also coincides with the 4th of July. So should be, uh, I'd assume, pretty busy for the establishments that can sell adult-use cannabis. We have some new guidance for local governments. We've been getting a lot of questions. So we're going to get into all that today. And we'll also discuss how counties are preparing for this when it comes to public health and public safety specifically. Here we are, July 1st, rapidly approaching, and this is going to become a reality.
1: Yeah, I mean, my main thought you know, just from a macro perspective that has a little less to do with public safety and public health is really just how sweeping a law like this is. I mean, it touches almost every category from like, you know, yeah, public safety and uh, public health, but also, you know, drug awareness programs in the schools, employment and workforce changes, uh, you know, zoning and permit. I mean, it touches taxes, it touches everything. Um, So it's interesting when you're watching something like this get implemented and play out um, because it's just, it's across the entire, you know, government
0: huge piece of legislation, sweeping for sure. And so, Sarah, let's get into some of the questions that we've been getting. Again, we do have new guidance for local governments from the Maryland Cannabis Administration. So as I mentioned, Sarah, adult use sales go live this weekend. We are getting tons of nuts and bolts questions from county government. So let's first hit the basics and we'll sort of do a rapid fire round here. Who can buy and sell cannabis starting on July 1st?
1: So it's adults 21 and older will be able to legally possess small amounts, use and purchase cannabis products from licensed dispensaries without a medical card. Um, Existing medical cannabis dispensaries that convert their licenses can sell to recreational users and then you can also grow up to a certain amount.
0: Right. And it does sound like nearly all of the existing medical dispensaries, approximately 100 locations across the state, have converted their licenses as of July 1st. So that makes some sense. They were ready for this and they stroked the check. They got their conversion. So those dispensaries will be open and available for adult use beginning on July 1.
1: And I think um, the Maryland Cannabis Administration is making a full list available before Saturday. But the last Last list I saw, I think, had it was 94 of the 102 medical locations were already converted. So it is it is full access from from those previously um, only medical um, suppliers.
0: Right. And I, I will so too, it, it's a probably a good idea to bring a cash or a debit card as major credit card companies will not process cannabis purchases due to the federal prohibition. Some of these dispensaries will have ATMs but it's best to be safe if you are going to partake. So Sarah, what about medical cannabis patients? Anything changed there?
1: Rules for medical cannabis in Maryland will still apply after Saturday. Um, so patients will still be able to register for a medical card and obtain medical cannabis from licensed dispensaries, according to Maryland's Can- uh, Maryland Cannabis Administration. Um, notably, medical cannabis will remain untaxed.
0: Right, and that is notable because we know adult use cannabis will be taxed at 9%, the same as alcohol. And that that was a big discussion during session and certainly yeah. where we sit. Um, you know, there there's a minuscule amount coming back to local governments, right? And Sarah Is what it do the lowest
1: think? in the country, do you know?
0: It is. It's absolutely the lowest in the country for states that authorize adult use cannabis. Um, it's sort of a joke. So Sarah, what do you tell people? What do you tell counties when they ask what they should expect in terms of tax revenue from cannabis?
1: Just assume you're getting zero and that will be about close, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that, that's um, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's way different than other states, so we're definitely uh, the first one taking this approach.
0: Right. So the way this will work is that nine percent will go to the state, and then one and a half percent of the state tax revenue will be directed to local governments in the jurisdictions in which the cannabis is sold. So a very very minuscule amount. Other state models provide local governments with their own taxing authority, or they send back about a third of the revenue. That's pretty common practice. Maryland decided not to do that. I think they were concerned. About taxing too much, and the illicit market comes in. So, um, this is certainly something that we'd like to have another bite at the apple. And you know, again, that we are—it's a—it's a minuscule amount. We know there are costs associated with doing this for local governments. Some of those are going to be substantial. So, that is disappointing. But again, this is not meant to be a moneymaker. That's exactly what state lawmakers are saying. So I think that's why they decided to do this the way it is, but it's not going to cover the costs that counties have to implement. So certainly I think that's something we're going to be talking a little bit more about and trying to come back to that issue in the next session. Yeah, for sure. Let's go through this, continue with this rapid fire here. This is a big one. There seems to be a lot of confusion about this one particularly. Where are people permitted (laughs) to smoke cannabis?
1: Yeah, and, and I will say this confusion is common in other states that have um, legalized recreational use. Um, but essentially, smoking cannabis is permitted only in private residences. So public smoking is prohibited both indoors and outdoors on public transit, um, in a moving vehicle, um, and on all federal property.
0: Right. So you and for the vehicle
1: element, it's even someone in your passenger seat as well.
0: Right. So you can't smoke on the streets. You can't smoke on sidewalks, bars, and restaurants. <laughs> public transportation, workplaces. Like you said, you can't smoke in the car. So very similar to alcohol minus the bars and restaurants. So if you're asking or you're wondering where you can consume adult use cannabis, it's safe to say just inside your private residence, you cannot smoke it in any public place. So hopefully that assuages some of the confusion that's out there. And Sarah, we know that counties and municipalities cannot ban retail sales of cannabis within their jurisdictions. But when it comes to on-site consumption. This was a big debate during the last session. Talk about the role that counties and municipalities have when it comes to on-site consumption establishments.
1: Right, so counties and municipalities, they may approve licenses for on-site consumption establishments, at which point people will be able to smoke indoors on the premises, so vape or otherwise consume cannabis, Um, though the county or municipality granting the license may prohibit the type a consumption allowed on the property, so we have we do have a decent amount of discretion there, and I would say for good reason.
0: Right, so that is something that counties and municipalities have control over the on-site consumption licenses. So none of those have been granted to this point. So again, if you are planning to partake starting on July one, only inside a private residence. Now, now, Sarah, you mentioned earlier about uh, growing cannabis. People are wondering, can you grow your own cannabis at home, and if so, how much?
1: Yes, you can, but you can't go crazy about it. So, like anyone twenty-one and over will be allowed to grow uh, up to two cannabis plants at home if they own the property or have consent from the property owners. So, property owners do have some latitude when it comes to um, those types of activities.
0: And and what about cannabis delivery? This is another question that we're getting a lot from counties. Yeah. Are you going to be able to get cannabis delivered starting on July one?
1: You won't be able to right away. However, micro dispensaries, which uh, are to start being licensed, I believe it's January 1st of next year, so 2024, um, they'll be allowed to deliver at that point.
0: Okay, so not yet, but that's probably coming down the line. And I'll close out the rapid fire round with this one, Sarah. It's another biggie. Can employers Mm -hmm. test for cannabis? Can employers terminate someone for using cannabis?
1: So yes, the new law does not prevent employers from testing employees for cannabis. Maryland law allows employers to test for cannabis and take action against employees who test positive, even if that employee has a medical marijuana card. So, again, a lot of discretion for employers and counties are big employers. So it's definitely good to uh, to clarify that element for sure
0: absolutely and i'll also note that this is only the beginning for the adult use industry in maryland this fall the state will be accepting applications for an initial round of new grower processor and dispensary licenses the first in the nation available exclusively to social equity applicants the maryland cannabis administration will provide outreach education and technical assistance both online and in person and through attendance at several events over the summer with the initial awards anticipated by january 1st of next year So, Sarah, the the MAKO Summer Conference is going to feature multiple sessions on adult-use cannabis. We have great panels of experts available to answer questions and provide information. We'll link all of that info in the show notes. But I do want to pivot a bit, Sarah. You wrote a great piece, a deep-dive blog article this week. And let's talk about some of the most immediate elements of implementation, and they have to do with public safety and public health. So these are two of the areas that you cover for MAKO. Tell us what preparation has been like for public safety and in public health.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I would start off by saying that, you know, some of the most immediate differences that you're going to see have to do with the ease of access, uh, access. And there are a handful of potential byproducts that come with that in the near term, that specifically law enforcement. So public safety officials and local health departments need to be prepared for. Um, so, for instance, the potential for more impaired driving because there's more ease of access, um, accidental ingestion by a child. Um, public not having a full understanding of the leniency um, and the restrictions of the new law. So so that's sort of the framing of how I would say public safety and local health departments have to look at it. And, you know, we we were lucky because I think early on um, Department of Legislative Services, they did a report back in 2022 and they used information from uh, Colorado. And what they found uh, in that report, and actually I linked to that report on the uh, the deep dive, is that uh, from a safety standpoint, the percentage of all traffic deaths that were marijuana related increased from 15% in 2013 uh, to 25% in 2019. Um, and then the other thing I would add from that report that uh, Maryland um, Department of Legislative Services had put out um, is that traffic deaths involving drivers who tested positive for marijuana increased more than 130%. Um, and that's you know not immediate, but that's in the couple years following their recreational implementation. And so what we, you know, so I I think an estimate I saw from the Baltimore County police was expecting 450,000 new expected legal active users. But that also doesn't account for um, kids experimenting um, just because there's greater access or anybody who would be uh, new to the market that would be experimenting. So, um, so yes, I mean, that is going to pose, you know, and you can see in those numbers from Colorado, some safety concerns. And so I would say from public safety perspective, managing those safety concerns is is, is a prudent behavior, but also the awareness that the public health uh, departments are able to drive just with education about um, what impairment looks like and how to experiment safely and so on and so forth. So, um, and I would say, yeah, the counties uh, between the public safety um, divisions and the local health departments, they've really taken initiative.
0: Right. So certainly, and you mentioned law enforcement and traffic issues, there still is no roadside breathalyzer test for cannabis. So that's another thing that I know law enforcement is trying to deal with and identifying those signs of impairment. But let's start with law enforcement, Sarah, and public safety. So what is law enforcement doing? What have they been telling their folks in terms of training and preparation so that they are ready when this launches again this weekend very soon?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the first thing they've been doing is uh, training all of the officers on what the new law means and how to effectively enforce it. So, um, yeah, I've been talking with the Chiefs and Sheriffs Association and the county attorneys, and they're just making sure everyone fully understands the nuances and and what they can and can't do when it comes to um, enforcing any kind of uh, cannabis law. Um, And then I would also say one of the uh, really valuable things, I believe, is they're doing more specialized training for identifying cannabis impairment. So when they typically do their training, it's a little bit more rudimentary in terms of what drug impairment looks like. And so the specialized cannabis training is similar to what they did in Colorado, which shows an officer how to to actually ID if somebody is impaired and some of the signs to look for. And so while that doesn't just help them find somebody who's impaired, that also helps them avoid having false positives uh, in the field. So I mean, I think that's a really valuable um, valuable element when it comes to making sure that you're not detaining somebody who isn't impaired because, you know, that was a really important thing in the training that they were uh, doing in Baltimore County specifically is that they had um, medical cannabis users were smoking to potentially get intoxicated. But what the officers were seeing is that everyone who smoked wasn't getting intoxicated to the same degree or really intoxicated at all to the degree that it would impair uh, your driving, so to speak.
0: And and Sarah, I know Colorado is sort of, you know, we use Colorado as an example. And I think Maryland has looked at Colorado, similar population, and they've been doing this for a while. So what what is Colorado seeing more specifically in terms of issues with public safety and law enforcement when it comes to adult use cannabis?
1: I would say it's mainly the driving stuff, you know, and like, and with with the law that we have passed, I know um, there is the, uh, the odor of cannabis is not... Um, not cause for making a stop or a search. Um, And that's tricky because it's the odor of burnt cannabis is also something that you might use to discover if somebody was actually driving behind the wheel. Um, So when it comes to enforcing that, that definitely puts a barrier in place for law enforcement. Um, And, you know, and I know that was a really um, a hot topic for, for debate, but I think, you know, when you talk about the law generally, like without putting it in the context of society and history, Um, it's hard to really, I think, figure out why they were trying to weave those nuances in. But I mean, I think if you look at the history of drug enforcement um, and policing uh, throughout the country, not, not just Maryland, but all over the country, that when you place it in history, creating some of those barriers, I can see that being valuable. But I think there's also sort of a fine line to walk in terms of how many barriers you want to place on enforcement when you're taking down so many barriers in terms of access um especially too with with the tax you know, having a significantly lower tax on something like this so so I would say you know I think from a law enforcement perspective you know that is a little bit of a barrier the the odor element but I think that I can I can see why people would have been wanting to go in that direction um you know and we'll we'll see how that that turns out but but yeah I, I can see it from both perspectives I think but then at the same time you've got you know the governor didn't sign that particular law so that might signal that they're with some concern uh, with it, but um, but yeah, I think that's, that's a nuance that we're seeing that I think is slightly different than, than what we're seeing in other states, including Colorado.
0: Right. So the odor alone, not enough for a police officer to conduct a search or initiate a stop. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that does make sense because if you're going to buy cannabis legally and you're transporting it back to your private residence, that odor could linger. When it comes to burnt cannabis, I mean, that's a separate issue, but again... <laughs> That, that is what it is. The General Assembly passed that law. So a lot of training, I'm sure, has to go into this to make sure, as you said, you want to you also make sure you don't have a bunch of false positives. So I think it goes both ways here. Police officers trying to do the right thing. Everybody's trying to get on board with this as soon as possible. This is a quick turnaround, obviously, from the legislative session to get this rolling. So Sarah, when it comes to public safety, anything that the state is working on specifically, I know that the state's a big player in this too. Local governments are talking with the state consistently about, you know, its plans and what it plans to do. So what is the state doing in terms of any, any statewide initiatives on adult use cannabis and keeping people safe?
1: Yeah, um, so I know that we have, the Maryland Department of Transportation has a pretty substantial um, media campaign that I believe is starting this week that's just really awareness that this is coming, uh, safety practices, do's and don'ts, general stuff like that. So Department of Transportation is involved. I know the Maryland Cannabis Administration, um, they've been sharing a lot of different documents with us that we'll be sharing with, um, with, you know, obviously local governments, but also other stakeholders um, that will help us be able to get that information out. Um, And then also uh, Department of Public Safety and Correctional Services is meant to, I believe, have some guidance coming out. It's not out yet, but my understanding is that that is forthcoming. And I think it's going to be guidance similar to what we're already seeing and some of the things that we're already discussing.
0: Right. So good to see some statewide initiatives too. the Maryland Cannabis Administration certainly doing a lot of work here again. Everybody's trying to catch up with this moving target as we approach July 1st. So I think we'll continue to see guidance. Like you said, Sarah, we'll continue to see, you know, public health campaigns and, and people understanding the risks and what you should and shouldn't do. So that's good to hear as well. We're going to work in partnership with the state on those efforts. And Sarah, from the public health perspective. Any specific steps you can talk about there? I mean, we've already gotten into generally some of the concerns with this, but what are some of the the big things that our local health departments are thinking about when it comes to educating the public and keeping people safe?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's mainly um, education and awareness. You know, when it comes to the drug facts about cannabis, um, you know, this law coming into effect doesn't really change much of that. It's really just making sure that with the greater ease of access, uh, and people who might be coming into the market or might be experimenting that they understand really how to do it safely. So I would say um from what I'm hearing in my communication with the health officers affiliate um and the local health departments is it's a lot of education and a lot of awareness and in some situations it's uh, collaborations across departments in uh, the various counties so you'll have the you know local health departments uh, bolstering education um with do's and don'ts sheets so a lot of it is um you know some of the, some basic stuff like if you're experimenting, um, start low and go slow is one of the things that I've seen. Um, you know, it's also uh, you know safe storage, making sure that you're keeping it locked up and out of reach of uh, children. Uh, one thing um, that they pointed out specifically was making sure that you keep things like the gummies, like the bright colored gummies, in their original packaging so that they have the warning labels on them and they're easy to identify. Um, that way, you don't have um, accidental ingestion uh, accidental ingestion by a kid who sees a bright colored gummy and thinks it's candy. Um, so so basic things like that. Um, and then some of those local health departments, like I mentioned, were they're doing some collaborations with the school based programs. Um, so for drug prevention um, training, and then Maryland Department of Health, my understanding is that there's going to be some guidance coming out from them as well, but we don't have it. But we're certainly going to be sharing it around when we do.
0: Yeah, big concern with the edibles. And, you know, a lot of these edibles, the gummies, they they could look like candy. So certainly there'll be a big emphasis to make sure that those exactly. remain locked up and out of the reach of kids. Certainly we know about the dangers with driving and using cannabis. Yeah. But then Sarah, also I've seen some guidance too on, you know, we know that a lot of people are probably going to try cannabis for the first time. Maybe they they take too much and they don't know what to do. So I've seen guidance too on, you know, how to calm down, drink a bunch of water and... Yeah, I, I agree I yeah, that's got to be a concern too for for local health departments and across the state of just people ingesting way too much particularly when it comes to edibles because we know that edibles you know the effect is not immediate so people might take yeah, it I mean, it's two hours right 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 I mean so yeah you could sit there and take it a gummy be. and think nothing's happening and then you take another and another and all of a sudden you're in trouble so I think there has yeah. To be has to yeah there's got to be a big campaign on that as well
1: yeah, definitely. That that's all part of, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing, the visuals and the infographs and things like that.
0: All right. So Sarah, we've gone through a bunch of information here. Hopefully that's been helpful for our listeners. Again, I do want to mention you wrote that great piece. Anything that we didn't get to uh, that you wrote about that you wanted to talk about here to make sure our w- listeners are aware of, we will link your article and again all the other stuff we talked about on the show notes. But any closing thoughts from you when it comes to this rollout going live again <laughs> on July 1st, a few days away.
1: No, I think you know from a county government perspective, um, you know all the communications I've been having over the last you know month. I mean, because people have been preparing for this coming for a while, um, you know the communications I've had have been really positive. That people feel like you know they're getting the information out locally. Um, I think they feel like a little bit more uh, guidance or assistance could have come earlier from the state, but but ultimately we are seeing a lot of that stuff rolling out now, and um, and that's that's positive. Just I mean, especially from a public safety perspective. Um, greater ease of access is going to present some unfortunate byproducts, and we just need to be ready to to deal with those. And and, and also leaning on on the research from other states um, and making sure that we are educated on what are some of the likely scenarios that can come up. Um, I've seen everyone doing that, and so I think um, that's you know a prudent approach.
0: Yeah, and of course we will have a bunch more about adult use cannabis at the Mako Summer Conference. Also, be on the lookout for a one-day symposium in the fall that Mako will put on on the full rollout and what to expect. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to again be covering this issue intensely when it comes to counties. There's a lot on the line, a lot of requirements, a lot of questions. So certainly this is right in our wheelhouse. But we are just part of the greater universe here. But I think. The impetus on counties is is bigger than most when it comes to dealing with this at the local level, planning and zoning, you know, public safety, public health issues, tax issues. This is not going to be something that just resolves itself quickly. There are going to be a lot of questions moving forward as this continues to roll out. And we'll be right here to make sure that everyone's aware of the latest information. But Sarah, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. It's uh, very timely, of course, and we appreciate it very much well thank you all right we'll go ahead and leave it there as always if you enjoy the podcast please go ahead and subscribe that way all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice you can also follow along on social media facebook twitter and then of course you should be reading the conduit street blog we'll post all the links on the show notes but for sarah sample this is kevin canale signing off and we will talk to you soon